We are talking pet chat. And Cheryl Shaw, you've got a special guest to introduce today to talk about greyhounds. Yes, that's right. We're going to be speaking with Jeanette Cox. And Jeanette's involved with the Friends of the Hounds, which is a greyhound rescue group. Is Jeanette there now? She is. Hello, Jeanette. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Yes, good morning. Jeanette, you're involved with the... uh, It's a non-for-profit organisation, isn't it, for um, rehousing... Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, it was, um, it all began, um, with our president, Lisa White. She, um, started it back in 2003. So, um, it's, it's a North Coast, New South Wales based, South East Queensland based. Um, but I've started the little, uh, our little group down here, um, to try and help as many greyhounds as we can. And how do you source these greyhounds? How do they come to you, Jeanette? Um, uh, most of them come through um, vets, so a vet that I used to work at, um, we used to see a lot of greyhounds out there um, and often they would come in um, for, for various reasons and one of the reasons is actually euthanasia. Um, so, you know, they may have an injury, they may only be a young greyhound who um, just won't chase the lure or too slow. So that's when we'd um, approach the owners or trainers and um, just you know, ask if we can actually save this greyhound and try and rehome it. Oh, that's lovely to be able yeah, to do that. Do yeah, they make good yeah. pets, though? Are they a good a good companion? Absolutely marvellous companions. Uh, so there is a bis- big misconception that they need a lot of exercise. They don't. They're real couch potatoes. So um, they're happy with a walk, you know, like 20 minutes, half an hour walk. They're happy with that. And then they're, um, they're, they're, they're biggest. Um, thing they love to do is just just sleeping. They can sleep up to you know eighteen hours a day. So oh, they're a bit like a big like cat. My kind of dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Do yeah, they have any perfect. any health issues that um, that are common in the greyhound breed? Um, generally, they're quite good. Um, most of their health issues um, have been bred out of them, so they um, you know they're a good sturdy dog for you know racing purposes. Um, the only um, thing that we may see is osteosarcoma, but we often see that in large breed dogs as well. So that's the only nasty one that does raise its ugly head now and again. Yeah. So but apart from that, they're a healthy breed, yeah. And how do you go about selecting the families that these greyhounds go to? What's the criteria? Yes, well, we ask the families to put an application in uh, and they let us know then what, what sort of home they're living in, whether it's a unit or a small yard, whether there's children, uh, whether there's other pets, um, even cats. And then from that information that they um, send through to us, we work out which greyhounds that we may have that suit. So we do often get uh, cat-friendly ones in. And um, and they're very well sought after, actually. So I was going um, to ask you know, how they went with cats. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're just like any dog, really. Yeah. You know, like some dogs are good with cats, some aren't. And it's the same with the greyhounds. So uh, just recently I've had um, three of my foster dogs have been cat-friendly. I've got two cats at home. Um, and they're, they're absolutely fantastic with the cats. They just have no interest at them in, in them at all. Hmm. That's yeah, really good, though, yeah. isn't it, that they can yeah. actually come along and be part of the whole family environment. I love that. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, we get ones that uh, some of them uh, have a little bit more energy than others, a little bit more bouncy. So if there's little children in the family that's applying, then we try and get one that's a little bit quieter and more, you know, to date. So uh, it's just a matter of matching up the right dog um, for the family's requirement. So if somebody was interested in um, adopting a dog, how would they go about that with you? Um, they can apply directly um, to the Friends of the Hound website and they'll see a little 
um, drop-down section there that they can um, put an application in. There's also an application if they, you know, if they can't actually adopt, there's an application to foster. So we're always looking for um, foster carers to take these dogs into their homes and treat them like their own pets. Oh, that's uh, really Otherwise, yeah, yeah, otherwise I can leave my number and if they want to talk to me, you know, I'm quite happy to pass my number out and they can talk to me. Oh, thank you so yeah. much, Jeanette. That's really wonderful. Yeah. Hopefully we can yeah. save a few more lives and get some dogs um, adopted. Oh, it's a great, it's a great thing that you're doing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I've, I'm on this journey now and um, I, I can't stop. <laughs> you're <laughs> so, and I, yeah, yeah, and I just, you know, we just want to save as many lives as we can. Um, we've got a, a huge waiting list. There are some good trainers and owners out there that are willing to hold on to the dogs for us until we can find a spot. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, but we often get emergencies from vets. They call us up and say, can you help this dog? And, um, yeah, I can't let it die, so we bring it into our home. Oh, that's really wonderful to hear that you're yeah. saving these dogs. And um, a really yeah. thank you for letting us know about just what's going on out there and yeah. that we have um, oh, some wonderful people yeah. rescuing. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you for the opportunity as well to um, to talk about the greyhounds. It's, um, I like the ripple effect. The more we talk about it, someone else might... Um, mention it to their family and friends and you never know what may come from it. Yes. Thanks, Jeanette. Yeah. And, and Kimberly, just off yeah. that, what's the life expectancy of the greyhounds? Oh, they're pretty good. I have a couple um, 12, 12 to 14-year-old greyhound um, patients. With, with any um, dogs, sort of the general consensus is that the bigger the dog, the shorter the lifespan. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, you know, your labs and golden retrievers and um, these guys, you know, often sort of 10 to 12 is is sort of the, the limit. But, okay. um, you know, I think they're, they're a fantastic dog. One of our vets at our practice has recently adopted a greyhound and that dog is just fitting into the house really really fantastically with another dog with chickens with uh, cats with the yes, kids it's fantastic yeah. so isn't that great and and um like Jeanette reinforced and, and you are Kimberly as well they can make really great pets and I yeah. didn't realize this and a year or so ago my sister-in-law wanted to she's a vet she wanted to get a greyhound I went oh wouldn't that be really hard work and she went no <laughs> it's the opposite they're so, big couch potatoes yeah. I, I think the thing people need to be aware of is that they are um um, they're a bit thin-skinned from a standpoint of, you know, spending winters outside. They kind of like to be on the inside. Um, you can put jackets and stuff on them, but, you know, they're really very um, quiet and sort of unobtrusive in the house. They just find their little spot, a little Beautiful. bed in the corner of the lounge room, and they'll lie there, and yeah. they're really lovely, lovely pets. And they really are quite healthy. We don't sort of, not the way we do with, you know, uh, certain breeds, golden retrievers. Again, I, I'm a golden retriever person, and they have lots of problems. Okay. Um, so they don't have, you know, real significant uh, line problems that we see so their health is quite good so they're they're not a bad option for somebody looking for a real low maintenance sort of pet Leng from Glendale on it the is, phone yeah. hello I'm, ring- I'm good thanks I'm ringing about my um my my cat um ta- uh, my tabby yeah. um Missy okay can you turn I, um, your radio down just yeah, quickly sure. Leng while Sorry you speak that. to us no that's okay so he's meowing Pardon? He's meowing and needs to be hand fed. Is that correct? No, she she always she meows. Okay. She's been doing it for the last uh, as as long as I can remember. Yeah. Just needs to be hand fed all the time. Okay. How old is your cat? Uh, about ten. Ten. Okay. And when you say um, she's been doing it for forever, is that something she's been doing like since she was a kitten, or just in the last few months or a couple just years? Ever since she was like about one or two years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, we certainly do have some cats that are more vocal more demanding you know some real chatty sort of cats out there what um what breed of cat is she is she just tabby. A, just a, uh, a, tabby. a tabby so just a domestic sort of cat yeah. yeah so i mean 
we know that the oriental breeds are real chatty sort of cats they're very vocal they like to complain but um you know lots of other cats will too and that's probably just her way of interacting you know sort of with you um the hand feeding is that you mean she won't eat on her own you actually have to stand there and and feed her or sit there and feed her sometimes she eats on her own but i basically have to give her biscuits straight to her mouth okay She's she's enjoying that, I'd say. I think she's got <laughs> yeah. you pretty well trained, Lang. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the thing I'd always say is... nothing wrong with her, is there? Yeah, well, probably not. I think it's always worthwhile making sure that she's up to date with her um, health checks. A 10-year-old cat, a lot of times they will have some dental disease coming on, and it could be that she's um, only sort of willing to eat, you know, the, the, the biscuits because you're hand-feeding her because her mouth might be a bit sore. So definitely worthwhile making sure that your vet's had a look at her at some point in the last 6 to 12 months. Um, but other than that... If she's been doing it since she was a kitten, I suspect that she's just got you very well trained and she's a real social little butterfly type cat, really wants to tell you about the things going on in her life. Okay, well, God, that's a relief. Okay, thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Speak okay, to you bye. again. Thanks, Ling. I, I did have to crack up when he said, um, you know, she's now 10 and she's been doing it for 10 years, so I wonder whether he's been trying to get advice along the Maybe, way. Maybe, yeah. whether it's gotten to a point that it's really annoying now. Yeah, it's something to be, it's certainly something to be looking out for. Um, a lot of older cats, as they get um, older, if they start to develop thyroid disease, a lot of them, owners will comment that they've become a lot more vocal and demanding and their um, appetite will often go up quite a lot so you have a cat and you think I just fed you and you're down at my feet and you're meowing and you're restless and vocal so it's something we always uh, look out for but in this case she's been doing it since she was a little young kitten I suspect that's just her personality <laughs> <laughs> and she does have him well trained <laughs> we're taking your calls today now we're looking at ear problems in our pets yeah. Kimberly you said you see this all the time all the time probably on a daily basis we see pets that have um, ear problems um, cats get them dogs get them rabbits get them very rarely we would see them in um you know something like a bird or a reptile mm -hmm. um but you know it's really our cats dogs and and rabbits that we see it most often um and they can come in a lot of different forms so what would it look like in your house if your cat's got a um, an ear infection often they're shaking their head flicking their ears scratching at them in dogs they often will um put a foot up and give themselves a little scratch and then they do that little groan and sort of semi-groan yes, and whinge yeah. a lot of owners will um complain to me that through the course of the night the dog started shaking its head and they can hear the ears flapping back and forth as the dog's really vigorously shaking its head. Um, some owners will complain that they can smell the ears, that there's a real nasty smell coming off the ears, or that uh, if they look at the, you know, lift up the flap of the ear and look in, they think it's really red or dirty and has some discharge. Um, those are all good things to sort of be on the lookout for. Puppies sometimes will scratch. If you've put a new collar on a young pup, sometimes they'll scratch around the neck um, or give their head a shake because they're not used to the collar, but that really should subside within probably 48 hours and they should get used to that collar um, fairly quickly. Um and kittens, we see a lot and a lot of kittens with ear mite infections, so that's definitely worthwhile doing. So the, the types of problems that we have is quite different depending on what animal you have. So kittens get a lot of ear mites. They get fewer ear infections from yeast or bacteria, but it can happen. Dogs, on the other hand, can get mites, but it's pretty rare. So more often we see a yeast infection down in the ear. Uh, sometimes it's bacterial, but yeast is more common. Uh, and our rabbits can get a variety of different things, but they can certainly get ear mites as well. So that's pretty common. Um, 
I think whenever you've got a problem with an ear, particularly if it's a new problem you've never seen on your pet before, definitely worthwhile getting them into a vet. There's a lot of different things out there in pet shops and online and a lot of home remedies people try, but sometimes they cause more damage mm. than um, than not. So the classic one I see frequently is um, people say, I've, I thought my cat might or my dog might have uh, ear mites, and so I've put some tea tree oil down into the ears, and that can be really, really damaging. Tea tree oil is quite irritating. It's also toxic to dogs. Um, if you have a ruptured eardrum for a bad infection, you can certainly cause some toxicity and potentially permanent deafness. Okay. So I would always recommend not putting anything, you know, home remedy-wise down an ear until we know what we're dealing with. Yep. There are some good ear cleaners available for sure. Um, but you want to make sure you're using something that's fairly mild because if your dog has an ear infection and the ear, you'll see that sometimes that the ear is really red and inflamed. Some of those ear cleaners use um, boric acid in them to try to change the pH of the ear. And if you put that down a really inflamed ear, it's going to sting and hurt. And that might set your dog up to have a fear of having their ear touched for the rest of their yeah. life. So what about the good old salt water wash with yeah. some cotton? Listen, you're unlikely to cause damage if you're just using a mild salty water sort of solution. Um, and, you know, I'd use like a cup of warm water and a teaspoon of table salt, mix yep. it up. Um, you're unlikely to cause much problems sort of with that. Um, having said that, it's unlikely to do a lot of good. Yep. So, you know, if you try it and you look back at the ear the next day and it doesn't look much different, probably time to get the dog in to, yeah. see, to see a vet. And most often we need to treat these guys uh, with a multimodal approach. So we need to put... Um, an antibiotic or an antimicrobial of some sort down so that we're tr triggering or, or targeting either the bacteria or the yeast. We usually put an anti-inflammatory down to make the ears a lot more comfortable. Um, sometimes they need to go on oral, you know, systemic antibiotics. Sometimes they need to be on some um, really strong systemic anti-inflammatories because ears are really, really sore, particularly for dogs. Um, ear problems can be really, really sore and painful and, and they're definitely a welfare issue for these guys. We're going to go to Danita in Belmont North in just a minute but can we avoid um some of these infections like yeast infection can we avoid that by drying the ears yeah for sure and some of them we can not all of them um but i think it's always good practice so after your dog has been for a swim or after your dog has been um had a bath to try to dry out those ears so um a bit of uh, soft paper toweling or gauze swabs or a bit of cotton wool um on the end of your finger um just sort of go down you know, enough that, that that's comfortable. You're not, unless you're starting to really poke down really far, you're unlikely to cause much damage with a human-sized finger. Um, but just trying to pull up some of that um, moisture under there. I wouldn't necessarily use cotton tips yeah. um, if you haven't been shown how to do it. But if you're using your finger and you're pushing something down a little bit with your finger just gently, that's going to soak up a lot of the, the fluid that way. Not all... Um, cases will be preventable that way. We do certainly know that ear infections and ear problems come up in a lot of cases as a result of just a generalized allergic skin disease. So you okay. might have a dog that's got um, an allergy to something that they're inhaling out of the um, out of the environment or even a food allergy and a lot of those dogs you know, will take a little bit more work up to try to work out why they're having ear infections. But usually those dogs are having recurrent. It's not just a one-off you know, my puppy's developed an ear infection yeah. which can be quite straightforward. Um, those dogs are usually having you know, sort of three or five in a year. Okay, it's 20 to 1 on 2NURFM. Pet chat, 49216216. Danita in Belmont North, what's your question for Dr. Kimberly Earl? Um, we got a kitten four weeks ago from a rescue place mm -hmm. and she wasn't vaccinated, um, microchipped or dissexed, but she came with a sore eye, which turned out to be the cat flu. I had three other adult cats who stay inside yep. and now 
they've all got it and they keep on getting it. Yes, yeah. So um, it's a challenging sort of thing. Cat flu is a very generic term that we use to describe sort of respiratory um, disease in cats and it can be caused from a number of different organisms. So herpes virus is the big one, um, the one we see the most often. Chlamydia is another and um, Khaleesi virus is a third one. The treatment depends a little bit on what organism your cat has, although it's, you know, typically they'll get put onto um, an antibiotic, they'll get put onto some eye ointment, particularly if they've got an eye um, ulcer, and that's usually herpes virus. Um, sometimes they get oral ulcers on the tongue. They're unfortunately quite contagious, and even the best vaccinated cats can still sometimes um, get it. And the trouble with it is that we talk about herpes. Herpes is forever. Once you have herpes, you have it forever. There's no curing herpes. So what we usually do is we see cat flu go through um, you know a household like yours and it can take anywhere from two to four weeks to get rid of it everybody needs to be on treatment most likely if, if they have all got it they um, pretty well need to be um, everybody getting some treatment some of them will be worse than others um, there are lots of different things you can use it some people talk about using um, lysine as a supplement to try to help boost the immune system it's not probably very well studied but doesn't seem to be causing too much problem so you could always talk to your vet about that in terms of just um, stimulating the immune system mostly it's just waiting it out treating everybody and waiting it out uh, until they all get it and their immune systems eventually will um, you know sort of knock it back and push it back uh, on, into control the hard thing is that it's stress-based as well herpes virus tends to come out when the cats are stressed so you've brought a new kitten into your household with your existing cats and those existing cats are probably a little bit stressed the new kittens probably a little bit stressed because everybody's trying to find their way in the world so you know expect that it will take a little bit of time um, but unfortunately once they've got it we really just have to uh, you know, wait it out, treat them, make sure everybody's got some good, you know, antibiotics on board against secondary infections, but it's going to just take some time. Um, and good hygiene, make sure you're, you know, washing bowls and blankets and things like that. Okay, good advice. And we've got Lorraine from Caves Beach. Now, you've got a question about a canary. That's correct. Um, this, a canary's got these very sore feet at the moment. Yeah. Um, been looking up nothing something like bumblefoot or something it will be probably most likely yeah how old is your canary i've no idea i received it as a present okay what's <laughs> bumblefoot well so bumblefoot is a sort of common term for a condition called pododermatitis and it may not be they certainly can have um uh, scaly um, foot mite and things like that as well um, but essentially bumblefoot's often related to a lack of vitamin A in the diet and having um, small very hard perches that are all sort of just wooden doweling so Lorraine some of the things that you can do again if you can it would be lovely to um, get your canary into a vet because there are some things we can do um, but the key things are making sure your bird's eating a really good diet that's not just seed based we need to get some um, dark green leafy vegetables in and some other um, sources of vitamin A so canaries on the whole love chilies they like capsicum um, you'll find lots of green leafies that you can pop into their herbs and parsley and things like that you can pop into the cage and get them eating some of that stuff um, ideally go out and get yourself some real natural branches instead of just the little straight wooden dowels um, you can you know give them a scrub in some hot water some people stick them in the oven and try to sort of sterilize them I don't think that's necessarily um, required I think just giving them a good scrub in some hot soapy water letting them dry out uh, we want them not to be too small so the bird should be able to 
um, have a lot of the foot sort of flat, so it's not having to curl its toes around too tightly because that puts a lot of pressure just on the central portion of the foot rather than spreading the weight across the toes. So a little bit bigger maybe than what you have and something that's got a little bit of variation to the size. Um, often if a bird comes into my practice with bumblefoot, we'll even look at padding up the perches for a little while and certainly there's some pain relief that we can use in these guys because it can be quite uncomfortable and painful. Sometimes if they've ulcerated all the way into the bone or through the skin, they need some antibiotics as well so definitely lots we can do mm. but those are the things you can do at home is get some new perches something different that makes the um, foot sort of weight bear a bit better um, and change the diet a little bit we've got Robin on the line now you've got a query about your dog's diet yes I do hi Robin how can we help hello Kimberly oh look I'm hoping you can I have a little rescue dog he's um, cross Maltese turtle yep and um, I saw the vet because I noticed he was having difficulty with constipation mm -hmm. and I was giving him a chicken neck, every, a fresh chicken neck every day and yeah. he said, oh no, that's too many, cut yeah. it down to three a week. Yes. And then um, he has fresh chicken or kangaroo meat, he doesn't like dry food <laughs> and... Um, I even put gravy on the dry food to see if you'll eat it because I buy it with vegetables in it. Yeah. Now, I have been um, told that pumpkin, if I mix pumpkin yeah. with meat, it might help. So I just wondered what your advice is. Because yeah. the vet just suggested it would get better. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like he's not getting enough fibre to the diet. Um, diets that are really high in meat that way certainly can cause some constipation issues. So um, I, I think it's definitely a good plan to cut down on the chicken neck. Um, I, I think roast pumpkin or cooked pumpkin is a really good um, addition to the diet for these little guys. You have to play with it a little bit um, because it can, you know, if they're not used to having it, sometimes they don't like the taste and sometimes they don't like the texture. But I think starting with, you know, sort of a teaspoon per meal and working your way up even to, I've had some, you know, dogs that get two to three teaspoons um, mixed in with their regular vegetables and just work your way, you know, sort of up slowly until the, the diary, the, the stools. You don't, you don't want to get diarrhea but you need to have stools that are sort of softish enough that he can get it out but you know still form for sure because yeah. his diet at the moment yeah it doesn't sound like it has enough sort of fiber um well i've tried even with you know i've even soaked um put the bread wholemeal bread in the microwave and soaked a bit of the it's a bit is it, is it a nice young healthy dog He's a very healthy. When I got him from the rescue, he was yeah. two kilos. He now weighs nearly four. Yeah. So you know, I guess the he thing is, very healthy, to, a, to a certain degree, <laughs> you know, I think you can. Um, you can make him like you know make him hold hold out a little on him if you want him to eat the biscuit food and i always think that that's a good plan for have them at least eating you know 50 to 60 percent of their diet eating a biscuit food um young healthy dogs they won't starve themselves he's just holding out for the stuff that he knows is really tasty so there isn't there isn't a problem you know sometimes making him you know miss a meal here and there to try to encourage him to eat the the biscuits here's a bit of biscuits we're going to skip a meal or two until 
until you, you know, decide that you're hungry. Because quite often that's what it is, as long as he's a young, healthy dog. Um, but I think cer- certainly adding some uh, pumpkin into the food, just go gradually so he doesn't sort of shun that as well. Um, try to stay away from things that are high in carbohydrates. So rice and bre- um, bread and things like that is mostly just going to, you know, cause things to really be gluggy and sticking together. So best to try to avoid that and um, and go mostly with the, um, you know, the pumpkin and, and sort of high fiber vegetables. Okay. Good luck with that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kimberly. You're Thank very you. welcome. Bye bye. Oh, Robin sounds like a very caring owner, though, doesn't yeah. she? Just beautiful. Look, we've got time for a few more calls. Four nine two one six two one six. We've got a free line. And as we have a look at our weather for our sponsor, the Hunter Motor Group, Maitland for new Honda, Subaru, Volkswagen, and Isuzu Utes. Well, remaining sunny this afternoon. It looks really nice out there. We've got blue skies. It's going to stay like that today and tomorrow. We might see a little bit of rain towards the end of the week and heading into the weekend. Now, Kimberly, we were talking before about um, ear problems with our pets and, and yeah. you know, what causes them and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But what can we expect when we take our, our pet to the vet with an ear problem? What's going to be the course of action? Yeah, so listen, we're, we're going to try to do a, um, an examination of the ear in the consult room. Sometimes that's a little easier said than done, depending on the patient. Um, cats are not too bad, provided that they're not fractious. Um, dogs, some will be fantastic and let me have a really good look so we're going to take one of those little otoscopes just the way that our human doctors do try to have a look and what we're trying to see is whether or not there's discharge in the ear how red the ear is down the canal whether or not there's still an eardrum intact because some ear infections will get bad enough that they will actually rupture their eardrum Um, so we're trying to ideally assess all of those sorts of things whether or not there's any thickening or narrowing of the canal in some cases the ear is going to be just too sore or just too full of muck and debris we're not going to be able to do it and that's going to be up to the vet then in terms of whether or not they persist that or persist with that um, some of the pets will need to come into hospital and have an anesthetic and we'll do a proper ear flush before we can assess or in some cases we're going to just err on the side of let's start some treatment get you back in a week and see how things are going usually we're going to try to put a swab like a little cotton tip swab down into the ear canal and take a sample from each ear and look at that under the microscope and what we're trying to ascertain from that is whether or not your particular dog has a yeast infection or an ear infection, uh, uh, bacterial infection, or maybe if there is mites there, particularly with cats, we often like to have a look and see if we can see the mites crawling around. We also look for um, the cells that produce pus. We look for blood. We look for lots of other sort of things. Um, and it can really help us to um, gauge or, or um, rate the scale of the severity. Uh, so I'll often give things, I might look down an ear and say, well, the left ear on the microscopy exam um, is, you know, four plus yeast. That might mean that there's 20 to 30 um, budding yeast on my microscope every time I look down a single field. Or I might say it's just a one plus, which might only be, you know, sort of two to four. Okay. Um, and so it can help us as you're going through the treatment, because some of these will take a little while. As we're going through the treatment, we can go, oh, actually, we've gone from a four down to a one which means we're getting there, but we're not quite ready to stop treatment or the whole thing will flare back up. So it's really important that we have a look at some of those. Cheryl, do you ever notice in in your profession, do you get any dogs that come in and you think, oh, there's potentially issues with the ears here? So often, and we refer them to take their dog to the vet because often you'll you'll see the little dog, his head will be on the side, he's got a very Mm. sore ear as he's holding his head. And owners sometimes don't realise that there's a problem. So we always point that out. It's very important to get that treated as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's really good. Taking last calls, 49216216. And before we do that, we need to look at our pet of the week and we've got Jaffa 
today. Jaffa. Yes, Jaffa. You can find him on our website, 2NURFM.com. He's a 14-month-old Kelpie Cross. These little guys are energetic, aren't they? Pretty energetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> He's looking for his forever home. Gets on really well with other dogs and kids. Um, he loves toys and balls to chew on, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing most Kelpies do because they're quite active. Uh, he's come a really long way since going into care. He's been in care for over a month. Um, he was pretty pretty um, timid to begin with, but he's really come out of his shell now and he seems to love humans. Now, he doesn't try to dig or jump out of the yard. Um, he sits, he loves hide and seek, and he is house trained, but he does prefer to spend plenty of time outdoors outside yeah. absolutely he listens when his name is called most of the time <laughs> so he may need a little bit more training there he sits and he and he is um, pretty pretty well trained but obviously more is always needed if you're interested then you can head to our website to nurfm.com and have a little look at jaffa he is exceptionally cute so i highly recommend it yeah, he <laughs> sounds like a lot of fun he does sound like a lot of fun doesn't he yeah. now ladies before we wrap up is there anything else that you need to add today anything else that we've touched on that we might need to look at with our with our pets oh, i think pretty good i think if people um i think it's nice to you know of an evening when you're sitting down having a little you know pat and cuddle with your dog just to do you know a quick little check of them you know have a look under the ear flaps make sure everything's good in there have a little i have a little smell of the breath make sure the breath is not too bad check them over make sure certainly in summertime you want to be checking them over for ticks and um but even just regular skin sores and things like that because things can change quite quickly so if you're doing that a few times a week you're likely to keep your um keep your pet in good shape okay and i think we've got a call online too hello have you called for pet chat yes how are you hello who have we got We've got Ron here from Kersley. Oh, Ron, Ron. you're back. You're back. We we lost you for about 50 minutes. You're back. Thank goodness. Just in the nick of time. How can Dr. Kimberley help you? Yeah, just a a thing that happened. I've got a a cross um, wolf hand, Mm -hmm. Ridgeback, and she's beautiful, absolutely, but she's a bit very, very shy, and I walk her a lot. Yep. I had a a guy the other day uh, try to gain her attention, Yep. and uh, I've, I've never seen this before. He flicked his fingers, you know, you flick your fingers. Yeah. And he flicked, and well, she just went ballistic. Oh, oh. really? Okay. Yeah, it actually frightened her, and I just couldn't believe it. You know, I, I know for years and years people have virtually done that, you know, when yeah. they, they put their hand down and, and flick their Have fingers. A flick. And, yeah. Yeah. There must just, be uh, something that that's triggered in her. Um, you know that's something that's that's caused her to be concerned about it like it, it's not something you would normally think it shouldn't be loud enough to cause a a noise sensitivity or or something along those lines so maybe something about the you know the way the gentleman was or um the way that he's flicked his finger she might have taken that as being um you know sort of threatening or yeah that's it's an unusual reaction most dogs wouldn't react well most dogs wouldn't respond necessarily unless they've been trained to respond to a finger click but they shouldn't really you know react with a fear response either so something's happened there at some point with her that she's she's gotten quite worried about it did she yeah, come well, sorry it's an exercise that i i don't use and, yeah and uh, just probably something that was new to her and she hadn't seen it before yeah and reacted you know she calmed down pretty quickly for you though ron oh yeah she did but she you know she she's very close to me anyway so <laughs> yeah. you know, that's nice she uh, bodyguard but she yeah that's right you know and she she likes to be around you and that but 
I just found that very, very... She's never yeah. ever done it to anybody before. Hmm. Absolutely. Bit of a strange one there. Funny, just something on the day with that particular person, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's all we've got time for, ladies. I'm glad we could fit in that last call. Thank you both for coming in, Cheryl Shaw, My Dr. Pleasure. Kimberly Earl. Thank you. Let's pet chat for another week.